Good evening and welcome to another episode of Hitting for the Cycle. I'm your host, Hank and Dictor, and as usual, we've had another week of pretty exciting things happening in the world of baseball, particularly with the All-Star break and whatnot. But first of all, before I get into anything else, as usual, I'd like to give you guys a friendly neighborhood reminder. Please give us a follow on all of our forms of social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and of course, please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, at review and preview sports and of course right off the bat we have a few comments okay i'm not going to repeat that but hank 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 john rankin how's it going good to see you commenting and checking in my guy and um you know before we get to the all-star game before we get to our guest today rob murphy aka journalistic integrity i gotta do a quick little rant about the yankees for a second and um yeah, you know, they won four of their six games, the last six games they played. They took two out of three in Seattle. First game was a blowout, 12 to one. I can't remember the last time the Yankees scored 12, scored 12 runs in a game with the way the offense has been, but I guess this must have had something to do with the MLB cracking down on the sicky stuff. But in any event, Luke Voigt had five hits in that game. Giancarlo Stanton hit a home run that I'm sure is probably still landing. Game two, Aaron Judge hit a home run that reminded me a lot of one that he hit in the same, pretty much close to the same place. It was deep in the left field. It was like 460 feet feet or something. It was. It definitely looked like it was headed for Canada. The Yankees won that one 5-4. They were actually up 5-1. Seattle chipped away. But, you know, again, the Yankees took the win. Got to take the wins however you can get it. Now, of course, the Yankees could not get the sweep because in the third game, Logan Gilbert, who is a rookie, dominated them and gave up only one hit. And considering this is a rookie pitching in this game, are we even shocked? Can't say that I am. I've been watching this team way too long, so I'm used to this. Anyways, let's get to the main series, which is the Houston Astros had a few more series. <laughs> and I'll get to the other Red Sox series later on. But um, as far as game one of the Houston series, the Yankee pitchers held the Astros to three hits in game one. Frankly, I'm surprised that Nelson Cortez was taken. Not sorry. Nestor Cortez was taken out too soon. Brett Gardner and DJ LeMay, who both hit two RBI doubles and one four to nothing. That was probably one of the more dominating wins of the season. But then again, it would be repeated about a week later. So, you know, or sorry, then again, it would be repeated the next night. Game two, Aaron Judge hits a solo home run. And, you know, there were a lot of people having opinions about this. He trolled Altuve as he rounded the baseball bases. He was like tugging his jersey like this in reference to what happened at the end of that NLCS. And, that was pretty funny, actually. I'm not going to lie. Some Yankee fans didn't like that he was cocky, and I get it. I know the old school mentality, talk is cheap, play the game. But, 
you know what, given the way baseball's been late and given how much more entertainment I want to see, I kind of enjoyed that. And then Garrett Cole obviously was the big story. He pitched a complete game, not inning shutout. He threw like 130 pitches. And, you know, I love seeing him yell at Boone to leave him in because, look, if this is a guy you're paying like $350 million a year to be your ace, you want to see him get a chance to pitch complete game shutout. And that he did. Definitely one of the biggest wins of the season. And, you know, it had me feeling pretty excited. But then, of course, the third game happened. They're up 7-2 to in the ninth. Chad Green had an absolute meltdown. And you know what? I unfortunately can't really fault him. Can't really blame Aaron Boone for the way that he managed this game because, you know, Aroldis Chapman hasn't really had it. And Chad Green's been the best relief pitcher. So him getting gas was inevitable. And unfortunately, of all people who had to end this game, it had to be Jose Altuve hitting a through run walk-off home run. And of course, seeing him tugging off his jersey had to be insult to injury. And you know what? This is a pattern for the Yankees. You know, they every time they lose a series, like a big one to a rival, whether it be the Mets, whether it be the Red Sox, or really anybody, they're going to follow it up with like a big win. And then they have another series win. But then every time you start to feel good, you know, like, Stuff like this happens where the Yankees have a meltdown and like it's just been one of those seasons. And you know what best exemplifies this? Today was supposed to be the start of it all. It's 7.05 right now. We should be enjoying a game against the hated Boston Red Sox in the Bronx. But you know what? COVID happened. That's all I can say. COVID happened and as much and I don't know what's gonna happen the rest of the series. Are they gonna postpone tomorrow as well? I don't know. Are they gonna be double headers? I don't really have much more I can say say about this issue, but let's go into the peanut gallery, a.k.a. the comment sections. Yeah, as John Rankin mentioned, the series has been postponed due to the COVID. Nasty slider. I'll take that nickname. <laughs> John has been bringing it with the comments these days, and um, obviously we have another good friend, Sam Cardona. Sam, how's it going? Thank you again for checking in. Love to see you check tuning in and watching us. Folks, if you have more comments, by the way, just like Sam Cardona left and just like John Rankin did, please get leave him down below in the comments section. And yeah, COVID is COVID, unfortunately. He couldn't have said it any better. And um, of course, last but not least, before I bring on Rob to talk about some New York Mets baseball, my mom's going to co- chime in. Happy Fourth of Jul- Happy July, Henry. Thank you, Mom. Happy July. And no, John, I love your comments. You're you're the best. I love I love seeing you. You're you're very funny. You're you're very entertaining. I'm gonna have to have you on just to talk more baseball. But in any event, I think it's now time that we uh, get into our guest for today. That would be Rob Murphy of Journalistic Integrity. Rob, how's it going? Um, but yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I'm I'm excited to talk some baseball with you. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a lot of fun and. Um, I think we've got a good comment for you right here. Tom, right off the bat, has something he wants to tell you. That's what I like to see. Let's go Mets. LGM. Yeah, no, I um, I, I briefly met you before. I, if you remember correctly, I was one of the hosts of the NFL draft party that Andy Hopper hosted. And I know you came with my buddy Paul and Barley, who for a long time, I thought he was the only Mets Chiefs fan I knew. And then I found out your podcast existed. And now I see there's there's at least two out there. Yeah, I think I messaged him and I told him, I was like, you're the only person and we might be the only two people in America that are big Mets and big Chiefs fans. So it was it was quite an honor to meet another person that had that same uh, that same fanfare as I do for those two teams. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. And I, I understand you're from Virginia, correct? Yes. Yep. 
So I got to ask, how'd you become a Met fans? Like, did so, you, grow, you grew up before the Nationals, right? Right. So they were, they became the Nationals, I don't know, when I was around 10 years old. But even if they were there, it was a mix of two things. So first, the first team I was on in Little League was the Mets. But more so than that, Jose Reyes was my favorite player ever and still is. And David Wright was a close second, but Jose Reyes was, I mean, I wore number seven because of him. He's the most exciting player. The most exciting play in baseball for me when I was young was him uh, hitting left. He was a switch hitter, hitting it down the right field corner and making it to third for a triple. That, that was the most exciting play for me for years. So that was the main reason why I love Jose Reyes. Did you ever play like MLB The Show or a lot of the other video games and like have bat first with him and like always try to hit a triple? Yeah, yeah. Always wait for like a curveball in the in the inside lower corner and just turn on it and hopefully almost root for it not to go over the fence so you could go for a triple. That's crazy. Yeah, no, he he was fun to watch. So was David Wright. Those those were some pretty good Met teams. I remember them very well. Prop they definitely should have won the World Series in two thousand six. But I'm not going to trigger you trigger you anymore with stuff like that. But Anyways, let's get to the current team. First half of the season, they're 47 and 41, and I believe they're three games ahead of the Phillies, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I've got the standings right here. So, yeah, we're three and a half up on the Phillies. So the Phillies are 500. They're the second place team. So nobody else in the division is above 500 besides the Mets. So as much as the Mets fans like to rag on the Mets, at least we're not as bad as everyone else in our division. So it's been... I mean, we've had some bad losses, but at the end of the day, we could be, you know, the Braves who had a, a devastating injury or the Phillies who can't quite piece anything together or the Marlins who seem like they're dropping kind of out of the picture right now. Right. And the Nationals are a team that I think is really underachieved. Like they've had some good moments during the season. You know that they have the the lineup that can hit, but unfortunately for them, they haven't quite been able to get it together. And I really thought they'd be a serious wildcard contender. But then again, that just goes to you really can't predict baseball. Yeah, it is. I mean, even with Schwarber going on a tear, and I was I was at the game against the Mets in uh, Washington D.C. where he first started this tear, where he had like 17 home runs, I think, in the month of June, and he hit a an outside high and outside fastball 98 miles an hour oh out to right field, and it, it was insane. And just seeing him up close in person, the dude's huge. And so even with him having an unbelievable tear, I don't know, but I mean, they're only six back, so. With the NL East, you never, you never really know. Somebody could get hot and then somebody could get cold at the same time. And, and you look up and the Mets are no longer in first. So I'm not going to believe it until it's official. All right. Now, before I get to the next question, I want to get into a lot of comments. And believe me, there are a lot of comments right here, mostly from John Rankin. And uh, he uh, he's going to say, Pete, long ball. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Mm. No. Boo, Chiefs, boo. Let's go black and gold. I see him. And now I see he's also promoting his uh, StreamYard and or Twitch stuff and whatnot. And uh, he al- he's also asking Tom what's up. And um, now I'm going to get to one of his other comments, which is Schwarber is nasty. I agree. And uh, Tom has another question. How do we like these uh, black jerseys? I see they're bringing them back on July 30th. What's your opinion on those two? Yeah, I mean, I like them. I'm not, I mean, Mets fans seem to like love them. It's like almost like a religious thing for some Mets fans where it's like the black jerseys just, you know, bring everyone happiness and Nirvana. But I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I like them. I think they're cool on like a Friday night game to bring out the black jerseys. So uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't hear that there, that there's like an official date for them to come back. So that's, that's exciting. Cause it was, it was all hearsay and 
and uh, Cohen was like flirting with it on Twitter, asking when should we bring him back? How is it so complicated to bring a certain color jersey back? I feel like you can just kind of snap your fingers, and as long as it's not the same color as the opposing team, then you can bring it back. But apparently it's a pretty complicated situation because it took us a really long time to get to this point. Yeah, definitely. I think the black jersey, I think bringing them back is pretty cool because I remember the Mets use them like every, like I feel like every two or three games, no, like during the mid to late 2000s. And I'm seeing a few debates, whether it's July 30th or 31st, either way, it's, it's pretty close enough. And I think it's a pretty cool idea. I don't think they should be used regularly as part of the regular uniform set, but I think for the sake of nostalgia, because I know there's a lot of Met fans who really like them. I think it's a good idea. I know the only people who I feel like really don't like them are like the old school Met fans who are like so used to orange and blue. Example, Howie Rose, who make no mistake. I respect Howie Rose. This is coming from a Yankee fan. He's a great announcer. He's really knowledgeable about the game, but I totally get why he's against the black uniforms. But in any event, let's talk about Jacob deGrom. That guy, his numbers, unreal. It, I think his I think his ERA is like 105 at this point now, no? Yeah, it's 105, and uh, his war is like 4.4, which is insane. You you would think that his uh, win-loss record would be a little bit better. It's I just had it pulled up, and it exited out. But he there's times where we just don't give him any run support. So he'll, he'll go like one earned run in seven innings, but we won't score any runs. And so he'll somehow get a loss for, for these incredible stats. But let's see. So he's a he's a seven and two right now. So a little bit better than I thought. Um, but I mean, Marcus Stroman, his record is six and seven, and he's got a two seven five ERA, which is really hard to do. He's had a really good year too. So those two guys, in addition to Walker, who made the uh, All Star game, who's another starting pitcher, they've been really good. It's a really scary top three where. If, if we make it into the playoffs and you got to face those three guys, I really like our chances because it's a huge drop off to four and five when we get to Peterson and some other guys. But those top three guys, obviously DeGrom is the best best pitcher in the league right now. But those top three guys are pretty dang good too. Oh, definitely. I agree. And, you know, I'm is it, is it a stretch to say that maybe signing Taiwan Walker may have been the steal of the offseason? Yeah, so far it has to be. Look how much it has to be. Yeah, we no, look it. how much you could have trade Trevor Bauer. Yeah, yeah. We got an all-star pitcher who doesn't bring any extra baggage, not even talking about what Bauer's done off the field, but just, right. I mean, I don't think his teammates liked him in general. And I'm talking before the uh, sexual assault allegations. I don't even, I'm not sure. I just watching on the field stuff, it didn't seem like his teammates really liked him that much. And I don't think that really surprises anybody. But Walker is a fan favorite. And he's, I mean, there's not much difference between what he's, done and what Bauer did this year and he's a lot cheaper so yeah he's I would say he probably has been I'd have to look at the list of signings from this past year but he's definitely up there so let me I I've got the standings right there I've got Bowers and Walker's side by side Taiwan Walker's ERA is 250 compared to Bowers which is 259 and I believe Walker's may have slightly less strikeouts but Whip is pretty similar. Bowers is at 1.00. Walker's is at 1.03. Again, similar production, but you're paying him much less money. I think I knew that that was going to be a great signing for the Mets. And I knew I didn't. Now, granted, I didn't think what would happen to Bauer would end up emerging later on. But like, I knew that like they were right to avoid signing Trevor Bauer for like one reason. And that's because you look at his personality, you look at New York. What if he has a bad start? 
fans are going to be turning on him immediately. And like, you know, we've seen, we've seen that happen many a time, like for both of our teams, me with the oh, Yankees, yeah. you with the Mets, like it's not pretty. Yeah, it's not pretty. And the first thing that comes to mind is Jason Bay, who what, just that was one of the worst contracts, one of the worst signings the Mets have ever had in my lifetime, which Jason Bay. Um, he really benefited from having the, the Green Monster and uh, Red Sox just hitting doubles right off that thing. Right. But I agree. I mean, Bauer, the stuff that he did to Mets fans, which I don't think we're going to forget, he started selling stuff out of his store that was in the colors of orange and blue. And this was hours before he announced his signing, as if to say, as if the tip is to hint at him signing with the Mets. Obviously, he didn't end up doing that. And yeah, I mean, I I mean, I didn't think he was going to be this good to begin with because he had obviously this past year was really good. But you look two years before before that, and there's the shortened season, and then he had an ERA like over four. So I wasn't sure. I hadn't seen enough year really good years out of him. But I guess I mean two five is pretty dang good. Not the biggest sample size, but yeah, I mean. Taiwan Walker has been incredible, man. He's he's a Met favorite right now. Yeah, definitely. Now, with that being said, as great as your top three is, it's the it's four and five which poses question marks. Now, I actually was with Paul with our buddy Paul Lombardi this past weekend. We were watching, uh, I believe it was the fourth game against the Pirates on Sunday. They had the five nothing lead. They blew that one, and repeatedly after the game, Paul was telling me after that that they needed that they needed a starting pitcher, and you know. Not not to say that they need to break the bank and go after like an ace per se, but like a capable four or five starter. And, you know, having watched that game and seeing how they've had to use a number of openers, like game three of the Subway Series, I think they had to do the same thing by starting Corey Oswald. He's I think he's right about that personally. Now, my question to you is, who is your top pitcher on your wish list as we speak? Top? I mean, I don't know right now. So, yeah, I agree. We don't we don't need to go big game hunting right now because I feel pretty good about our top three. They've all been consistent, but it would be nice to get a fourth guy. You can kind of get away with having an iffy fifth guy and kind of playing mm-hmm. it by ear. But when you've got two guys, Peterson, and then it's kind of um, Lucchesi, and then they mix in uh, some other guys with him. But two out of the five guys aren't great. So 40% of the time we're sending a guy out there that's that is pretty shaky and is going to give up some runs. Um, so – that's when you look at the playoffs, it's not a huge deal not having a fourth guy. But when you're talking about getting a good record in the regular season and 40% of those games are going to be started by a starting pitcher that's not very good and, and your offense is going to have to score five-plus runs to win, that that's it. That's when you get in trouble. So I don't have the list of, of guys that the Mets are eyeing right now, but I think if we just get a solid guy, even a just guy that's got like around a four ERA, that would be an upgrade for us. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. I think again, just get somebody for depth. Don't don't try to ruin the farm. Just like you need more help with the pitching. I don't think you want to see too many more openers with um what's who was starting the third game? I, I forget who started the fourth game against Pirates. It was I don't know. We yeah, one of them was Corey Oswald. We have I, there's just a cast of characters that come in and start that fifth game. So, I get them all mixed up. I'm not sure which one it was, but Regardless, he he did, he uh, is not very good. I want to say it was Loop, but I'm not I'm not 100 sure. And uh, Tom actually has another comment. He says he likes meet Miguel a lot. He hopes he can make a name for himself. And fun fact: Tom actually was born on the exact same day as Tyler Miguel, July 28, 1995. Oh wow! So on the same day and year. Yep. Oh okay. Well, that's. I mean, we got to get him a McGill uh, jersey 
Yeah, definitely. I'm sure he can probably go on Mets.com or customize it and maybe find one at City Field. Why not? Yeah, I'm sure they're not too uh, too expensive. So, all right, I've got McGill's stats. So he's three five ERA right now. He's got four starts, a total of eighteen innings. So he hasn't been going very deep. That's about five innings a start. So yeah, I mean he's he's not bad. I haven't seen many of his starts yet, so I can't really talk on like his stuff. But he could be good. We'll see. Yeah, I think he could too. I think definitely there's potential right there, and. um you know, let's talk about the offense too, because I know it's been kind of hit or miss, no pun intended, but I think the main part of the offense that we need to talk about right now is Francisco Lindor. Now, obviously we know he had a very rough start to the season and he has been like suffering through the fans' wrath during the first half. I love how he playfully comments saying, oh, I'm just wondering if I'm not going to get booed late in, in the games whenever I get a big hit. But What's your overall opinion on him? I know a lot of guys don't seem to like him, but Paul, I've talked to him about Lindor multiple times, and he sees Lindor as as a natural leader on this Mets team. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, so I was down on him at first just because of how bad he was. I mean, he was under 200, and I started asking questions. Are they going to rename the Mendoza line to the Lindor line because he was right at like 190 forever? But he's up to he's up to 227 right now, and he's got the second-highest war on the team which was pretty shocking to see. And so that just kind of shows, you know, he's on base percentage, not as bad as the average would lead you to believe. And the fielding's pretty good, but I agree. He is a good leader. And when I was at a game watching him, like he's smiling, he's laughing. He seems loose. The players like him. The coaches really seem to like respond to him and respect him. So I think he's going to turn it around and he's been good the past few weeks. So I think that, I think it's going to be a big half for him. And I mean, 227 right now, if he can get over like 250, I think, I think he can kind of salvage the season. Yeah, definitely. And I think another thing that should give you hope over the course of the second half, a lot of your guys are coming off the IL too. Yeah. Yeah. We've had a a bunch of injured guys, JD Davis. I mean, Dominic Smith's been there. Pilar, obviously Conforto McNeil. I mean, it's, it's a lot of guys. So we've been slowly getting some guys back. Um, But I mean, even Alonzo, he's, He's not having like he's having a little bit of a down year. He is hitting 250. He's got 17 home runs. But I mean, when you think back to his rookie year where he hit like 50 plus bombs and then he, he didn't have a great year last year. But a lot of guys, I mean, our highest batting average on the team is 250 from Dominic Smith. And and so like a lot, I feel like we've got a lot of room to grow offensively, which is kind of exciting because, you know, this team isn't close to hitting their potential yet. Yeah, definitely. I think I have a feeling that in the second half, you're going to start to see a little bit more life out of the Mets bats, particularly with guys like Jeff McNeil. I, Jeff McNeil had a really bad start, but I, I see him slowly coming together. And Michael Confort is a guy. I know there's some Met fans who have polarizing opinions on him. I think some some seem to buy into the Conforto hype. Some some don't. I know a lot of people who are kind of who are like on completely opposite ends of that spectrum. But what's your what's your opinion on Conforto? Yeah, he's frustrating because sometimes he, he looks like the best, most like mechanical, prettiest left-handed swing in the league. And then other times he's going to be swinging at curveballs that bounce off the plate. Um, but I mean, in the past, he's had huge home runs for this team. So I, I still like Conforto. I'm pretty high on all that. Like, I like this team. So I, I really, I mean, Villar and Pilar, their like aggressiveness on the base pass, their toughness. I really like those guys. And my only worry is that we're going to have Stroman or Walker fall off in the second half because they've been so good pitching staff 
you said it right at two five for Walker. I think two seven five for Stroman. Obviously, yeah. Degrom is right at one. I, I'm just worried one of those guys is going to fall off. But I think our offense gets better, and so if our pitching can hang on and the offense comes on, I mean, I think we're a top like four team in the league. And it all goes back to what I was saying earlier about pitching. You have to get another pitcher to like shore up some depth in your rotation. You can't you can't go the rest of the season with the rotation the way it is because, as I said, do you want to keep throwing guys like um, Court Oswald out there? I don't think so. So yeah. Yeah, no. And if and if any one of those guys like has a bad start, then you're in trouble. Right. Yeah. And I mean, in addition to that, one of our pitchers goes down. Like Degrom has another oblique strain or something like that. Then we've got three out of five guys that have no idea what they're doing out there, and we just have two guys. So, yeah, I mean, a, a new starter would obviously be good. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't like giving away, like, good players from our farm system. Um, but, I mean, we'll see. Hopefully we can get a guy that's, you know, middle of the road. But um, anything would be an upgrade right now. So I don't think we need to break the bank. Now, apparently, I've heard a. Com- I saw a comment from Jer- from Jeremy Hefner. I believe his name is the pitching coach. He said that he's worked with Jose Barrios before. What would you think it would take to get him? Um, that would be how, how much. How much time does he have left on his contract? Is it expiring? Yeah, he would be a rental. Okay, and you could afford him too because you're a big market team and you no longer have the coupon zoning. Run yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um. I don't know. I think that would be what what are what's his ERA right now? Do you have that on on your computer because I'm going to think... go to baseball reference for you right now. Nice. So, his ERA right now is I believe it's 3.48. So, that's actually pretty solid. It it's pretty much right around what you were saying. You wanted a guy like around mid 350s, like 400s. Yeah. I, I feel mean, we like have the best we'd have the best top 4 in the league if we got him. I don't think yeah. he would yeah, yeah. And as as I said, since Jeremy Hefner has worked with him, I feel like he could really benefit from that too. And now whether or not he can succeed in New York, that's another issue entirely. And that's something we'll have to find out. But if they get Barrios, I respect that. That shows you that they're going for it. And it shows you that Steve Cohen and, uh, and, and everyone else is not willing to mess around. It would be cool. I mean, we'd probably have to get like a couple, two to three, solid prospects to him. I think that's what it would take, but I mean, it would be worth it if Cohen has plans on re-signing him and retaining all these guys. So I have no idea where he stands with that, but I mean, that would definitely make me feel a lot more comfortable with it. If we're going to keep him on the team. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I definitely like that idea of getting Barrios. Now, speaking of pitching, I think we got to talk about the bullpen. How have you been pleasantly surprised with how good they've been over the course of the season? Yeah, I mean, I'm always surprised when the Mets bullpen is good because it's normally really bad. Um, but Edwin Diaz, I mean, you look at what he did in the first, in year one, and he was one of the worst closers of all time. His blown saves, his losses, his ERA were terrible. And this year, I mean, he's been incredible. He's had a couple of blips here and there, but every good closer, even the great ones, have those. So his stuff's been pretty good. He looks a lot more relaxed out there. And in general, when you see him step on the, on the, uh, Hill, as a Mets fan, you're not like, okay, how is the other team going to win this game? Is it going to be a bunch of walks or is it going to be a home run? Now you're expecting three up, three down out of him. And it's it's a lot more pleasant when you've got a team that wins the first eight innings and you feel pretty confident that one dude is not going to ruin it in the last inning. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, even as a Yankee fan, like I've been to City Field a few times this year. It's not too bad of a drive for me. Like just go to Queens. You can find parking there. Not too bad. The only downside is $25, but still it is yeah. what it is. You're, you're going to get that. But in any event, one of the cool things about Diaz is whenever he comes in a game, like every time I hear that intro, doesn't it get send you in like such an adrenaline? Oh, yeah. The trumpets. Yeah. Tracks, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like uh, Wag Billy Wagner with uh, Inner Sandman coming in um, uh, from years Mario ago. Rivera? Yeah, sorry, you know I had to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean the music, the music is really nice when the when you when the it's associated with a closer getting the job done. When you hear that noise and you're like, okay, there's a 50-50 chance he blows it. That's when you start having these emotional traumatic responses whenever you hear that noise outside of a game. So it is it is a pleasant noise these days. Yeah, definitely. I think Diaz Diaz improving has been key because I really think when I from what based on what I watched in 2019, I really think it was the combination of Mickey Calloway or sorry, didn't mean to mention that name and Edwin Diaz who single-handedly cost him a playoff spot cuz like and you look at that roster too, I really think this is like the best roster I've seen from the Mets in like ages honestly. Like the like and I'm not just saying that to like you know, because you're on the show, like I really up and down that roster. It's really talented. Yeah. Super talented. Um, you know, top through bottom, we made, I mean, a lot of additions getting McCann and just the, the JD Davis, the Valar Pilar, a lot of little additions. And these guys are, are playing pretty well. And I think our defense is taking a step up. It's, it definitely is the best roster. And when we're healthy, it's, you know, the best roster we've had in, I mean, I don't know trying to think back i mean we've just had so many rosters that have really good starting pitching and then you start thinking of the hitting it's like oh, it wasn't really that good of a roster overall thinking of the 2015 team but um yeah i mean it's 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 a fantastic fun team to root for because these guys i mean we come back in games in the ninth innings we have comebacks it's it's fun to be the team that's coming back and not getting come back on yeah, I was going to say probably 2006 is the last really good roster I can think of that the Mets had. But, you know, in any event, it's a fun team. Even despite me watching the Yankees and being kind of miserable with their lack of offensive consistency and their pitching stuff and the whole spider tack nonsense and Aroldis Chapman's stuff, like, they're, they're a fun team to watch. I'm not going to deny it. I'd be lying to myself if I said otherwise, but... Speaking of fun stuff, baseball wise, I was I want to talk to you about the All Star Game because there has been a lot of really crazy stuff happening. Pete Alonso winning his second home run derby in a row. Let's talk about that. What What were your thoughts going into that? Yeah, I mean, he definitely wanted to win the home run derby more than anybody else, and you could see that in the interviews how focused he was. And then you can't talk about him winning without the pitching coach Joust or whatever. All of these guys in the competition, they can hit home runs really well. They can hit the ball really far. The biggest variable is where they're getting these balls placed. And for him to put every single pitch right where Alonzo wanted it, a little up and a little in, is perfect. And you see other guys are throwing like these pitches that are two inches outside. And you swing at them, you're not going to hit a home run. Or you just don't swing at it, and it's a wasted 10 seconds. So the pitching is so crucial in this. And I think... 
I think if you're going to be in this tournament, you gotta you gotta realize how important it is, and to get a guy that's going to be comfortable in that situation and can just lock in and throw hundreds of pitches right in that spot. Yeah, it was really fun. I could have. I, I think after like maybe the first or second round, I could tell he was going to win it because he was the one player who just had that intense laser focus, like determination and. Even after he won, I just loved his enthusiasm afterward and how happy he looked with that little metal around his neck with the spinny thing. It, it was pretty cool. Yeah. But I will say this. Personally, I was rooting for Trey Mancini, but even with him finishing in second, I thought that was a great feel-good story. And it gave really Baltimore Orioles fans something really to enjoy because, like, obviously we know how their team is. They're in the midst of a really deep rebuild. But to see him do well, especially after coming back from where he was exactly one year ago, that was a pretty good story. And, you know, obviously I was hoping to see Shohei Otani do better. That was kind of a dud, but you know, it is what it is. Shohei Otani's still provided us with some great moments during the season. Yeah, but, it was, it was cool to see Mancini get that far. Um, but at the end of the day, he wouldn't have wanted Alonzo. Some people were like, Alonzo should have let him win. It's like, no, Mancini doesn't want anyone to pity him and just give him the trophy. So um, yeah, Alonzo is good seeing Mancini go that far. I thought the Otani Soto overtime was incredibly fun. And then the three swing, the swing off and Soto, I think went three for three and hit all three out was incredibly clutch. And he's one of the guys as a Mets fan that I fear the most when I see him up to plate. Um, it's probably Soto at this point in the NL East and Freddie Freeman. Cause he, he always kills the Mets, but both of those guys. Oh yeah, for sure. I totally get that. I mean, he's what I think national fans were expecting Bryce Harper to be. And you know, he could very well turn out to be even better than Bryce Harper. I don't even think that's a stretch to say anymore at this point. Yeah, I mean, Harper had those, like, good, like, year and a half, two years. But outside of that, I mean, he was hitting, like, 240-some years and striking out a lot. Um, but uh, Soto, yeah, Soto's really good. I think he will be better than Harper. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mentality-wise and, like, fielding-wise, I, I already see him as a better version of Bryce Harper. But now, let's talk a little bit about the game itself. And I actually have a few fun facts for you. So, First off, Shohei Otani is actually, as you all obviously know, is the first two-way player to start an All-Star game, and not to mention he was the first to pitch and taken a bat in the contest since Roy Holiday. Believe it or not, wow. I, I was pretty surprised looking at this up myself because, like, I thought maybe there were a few pitchers who hit, but I guess the managers didn't really want to keep them in for too long. I guess they were like trying to use the pinch hitters, but that's pretty cool. Shohei Otani has been a great feel-good story, and like. Really impressive watch. Now, granted, I'm not going to be one of those guys that say, oh, he's the next Babe Ruth. No, I don't really like making those comparisons. And personally, I think it's kind of sacrilege to compare anybody to the Babe. But that's a story for another day. And um, the next cool thing was this is actually the first All-Star game to have home runs by catchers of each league since 1997. You had JT Realmuto and Mike Zunino hitting home runs. That was also pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, back to the Otani point, I mean, it is incredible what he's doing. And I heard he doesn't even take batting practice during the season, which he just seems like one of those guys that he could pick up any sport he wants. Like, he could play receiver on a on a football team and get you six catches for 74 yards because they're doing some close-ups of him. The dude's huge. Like, his back muscles, I mean, the dude's a really freaking athletic beast. And he's so fun to watch. He's the only reason I would watch an Angels game. And... The stuff that he's doing, not only being an above-average pitcher, but the biggest home run threat in the MLB. I mean, it's. I wish we could have seen this sooner, but he got plagued by some injuries. But, I mean, what he's doing is incredible. I just hope he can keep it up because it is something 
that we've never seen before in a hundred years. Yeah, no, I love it. It's one of the re- he's one of the reasons why for years I keep by subscribing to the MLB TV at bat stuff because right. I like to watch some of the West Coast games and like see what Otani does and see what other guys like Fernando Tatis do on a nightly basis. It's a really cool thing to watch. And another thing, speaking of Angels, Jared Walsh made one of the bigger plays. He robbed Chris Bryant of a hit in the eighth inning. And I'll tell you this: Can you imagine if the Angels didn't have a Mike Trout or a Shohei Otani? Jared Walsh would be like their main center of attention right now on that team. Yeah, it's it's pretty bleak after that. What's happened to Rendon? Have you? I haven't been ke- keeping up with my Rendon stats this year. Is he hurt or something? He was on the IL for a time, and he is another guy that really hasn't quite up to lived up to that contract. And I was really surprised about that because this is kind of a hot take. I think low key he might have been the best player on the Nationals the last like five years he was there from like say. Actually, no, four years, 2016, 2019. I'm not going to really take away from Bryce Harper's MVP season, but right. in any event, you get what I mean. He was their more consistent here, hitter. He was their clutch hitter. And without him, obviously, I don't think they have a World Series title to show for it. Yeah, I mean, he was really good. And he was a guy that had like his best season at the right time, right when he's going into free agency. And he got paid for it. And we see it happen. I mean, we've seen Machado. He didn't have the greatest year his first year back. He has been doing a little bit better in year two and three of that contract in uh, San Diego, but... I mean, you got to think if Otani, Trout, and Rendon, if Rendon picked it up, it would be tough to have a team not make the playoffs that has the biggest power hitter in baseball, Mike Trout, the best, arguably the best player still in baseball, and Rendon, who would, I mean, be hitting, you know, 330 home runs at least if he was having what they expected. It'd be tough to think that that team wouldn't make it. But then again, the Angels pitching stinks. Yeah, no, they're, they're such a waste. And, it, and Dom brings up a good question. He asked, should the Angels sell? I would say, yeah, they probably should. If it were up to me, I would have traded Mike Trout like a while ago, even before you thought of signing into that contract, just but just for the sheer fact that, A, you could have gotten a lot of like prospects in return to him. Can you imagine like what a lot of teams would give just to have a guy like Mike Trout and just have someone like him who could get them one step over the top? And yeah, they they Another probably should have traded him, but it is tough to trade a guy who's the best player in the league. Yeah. So I get that. I get that. It would be hard. So the Angels are nine back in their division, five and a half back in the wild card. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. It's just tough when you've got this exciting of a player on your team yeah, and just to no. throw it in. But sometimes you got to make the hard decision and and upset the fan base for a short period of time in order to have the long period, hopeful success for the Angels. So We'll see what they do. I hope they don't, just because I want to see important Angels games down the stretch. But even if yeah. they aren't sellers, who knows if we'll, we'll actually get those games. Well, yeah, no. And the other the other thing I was going to bring up regarding Mike Trout is, not to mention, you sign him to that, long, that long-term contract. Now you're going to, like, handcuff yourself, like, with other contracts potentially and, like, not being able to move him, even if you wanted to. So yeah now in that mess and now he's going to be stuck playing with a team that's potentially going to be going nowhere for a long time and like i said you got talent on that team but it is such a waste reminds me of like the rockies when they had nolan arenado and trevor story and, and carlos gonzalez and a lot of those guys their pitching just couldn't get them anywhere you know it's, it's, it's so really frustrating it's just that's the that is the cool thing about baseball, though. In basketball, you see you can have three really good players <laughs> and you're going to make the playoffs. In baseball, you've got to have a well-rounded team in order to have a good year. 
Mom, I as much as I would love to see the Yankees pick up someone like Mike Trout, the only problem is we're also stuck with a bum who's a partially a DH and can partially hit in the outfield, but is either a home run or a strikeout machine. And we're also stuck with a 350 million ace who, you know, as great as he was against Houston, we don't know what we're going to get because of the post spider tax stuff. Cause that's just one start. And the rest of that contract is going to get ugly. And we know that, and let's face it, you know, Cashman and or the Steinbrenners are not going to want to like, take on another type of that contract so yeah it's that's pretty much a fantasy slash pipe dream at this point sorry for that little angels tangent but anyways back to the game itself i think red sox fans in general probably enjoyed this game too because five of them had a hand in the win you had J- devers bogarts and jd martinez going a combined three for seven with a double and an rbi Nathan Yavaldi pitched a scoreless inning. Speaking of Yankee guys who I wish were Yankees. And then Matt, uh, Matt Barnes getting himself out of the base of his loaded jam with the aforementioned Jared Walsh cash. So Red Sox fan had to, had to be pretty pleased with what they saw. But the main thing that obviously everyone's going to be talking about when they think of this all-star game is none other than Vlad Guerrero Jr., who I believe is the second youngest player to hit a home run in the all-star game. His home run went 468 feet. I'm pretty sure that thing is still landing. He yeah. is extremely fun to watch. I, As much as I hate that he plays for a division rival, I would not be surprised to see him winning the MVP. And he's really starting to put it together, too. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's another one of these guys that, I mean, right now the MLB is just littered with really talented young players that are exciting to watch. And Vlad is the top of the list. We got Tatis. But uh, yeah, I mean, Vlad, it's cool. Like he had a dad that we all watched play for the Angels and and such. And now we've got his son and there's pictures of him at the All-Star game with his dad, which are really cool. He's a big dude. He doesn't look like a a normal baseball player. And so I think that's part of the attraction to him. And he hits huge home runs. And so he's he's fun to watch. And another one of those guys, I wish the Blue Jays were a little bit better. Yeah, no, definitely. I think they're pitching, at least with the Blue Jays, though, they have a few decent pitchers. I just think they really need to improve their pitching, though, because if they're going to if they're going to compete with the Red Sox and the Rays, like that, they have no shot unless they have better pitching. But in any event, the All-Star game, I thought was really fun. It wasn't like too like climactic, but I think with the big home run from Guerrero and seeing Otani pitch and hit. Really, really a lot of cool stuff to have, even if not as many people will really appreciate what the baseball all-star game brings. But it was a lot of fun. My only real complaint about it was that they got rid of the tradition of like every team player wearing their regular uniforms. But that's just a nitpick. That's just another addition to my greatest hits of anti-Rob Manfred stuff. But I'm not going to really get into that right now. But before I end the show, there was one thing I really didn't touch upon with you regarding the New York Mets, and that's um, that's Kumar Rocker. Now, Obviously, I'm not really going to get in too big into the draft because the thing about the MLB draft is like, you know, you have like a lot of guys who are really good in like high school and college, but like high school and college games aren't really shown regionally. Whereas compared to the NFL and the NBA, like you have more access to what these guys were coming into the leagues. And Kumar Rocker came from a really good baseball program at Vanderbilt. We had other guys such as David Price and Pedro Alvarez playing there before. And Given all the hype that I heard surrounding him, I was shocked that he fell this far. The other guy who was at the top of that hype was Jack Leiter, from who I believe was drafted by Texas at number two. What were your thoughts about the selection of Kumar Rocker? 
Yeah, I mean, I was happy he slid to us. I think part of it was, and I don't know how this baseball slotting money works, but for whatever reason, he was going to be demanding a higher signing bonus than what was normally in that slot. So I think we paid him. We got him in the 10 slot, but we had to pay him like a, a top three signing bonus. I don't know how that works in the MLB. Somebody needs to explain that because I don't think a lot of people understand that. But I think that was part of the reason he slipped. But then I was thinking if it's a difference of a million or two dollars, like why is that really worth letting a guy that's probably the second best pitcher in the draft fall, you know, seven different teams pass on him? Because that doesn't seem right. Um, but for whatever reason, the Mets got him. I only saw him pitch one game and he didn't pitch great. It was in the college world series versus uh, Mississippi state. I think was the game. Um, and he didn't do very well, but I, I mean, he, he was good by all accounts. He's good. Um, a big dude. So that's kind of good when you're thinking about injuries and durability, he seems pretty big, pretty built. And so I'm excited about it, but I'm not going to act like I've really been studying his stuff, but it is cool that he did fall to number 10. Cause I didn't think we would have a chance at him. Yeah. Again, Dad, say what you, regardless of how he does, it's hard for a Met fan to not be ecstatic about what the future holds. I mean, really, ever since Steve Cohen came into the fold, there's been a lot of really exciting things happening to your organization. And I think, as say my Yankee bias aside, I really think an owner like him is good for baseball. Oh yeah, so good, especially in New York, and especially what what the Mets had beforehand. It's it's a totally different feeling. And Tom says he believes it was a six million signing bonus for Rocker. That's a lot. Yeah, I agree. That sounds. Yeah, I think it was like four point one million was what the slot normally has. So I think it was around. I think I'm right. One point nine million more. So I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know how you what why certain players can demand more for their slot. But um, there had to have been a reason for it, and the Mets knew it going into it. But that's why it helps to have a guy like Steve Cohen. And it also helps to be a big market team too. But yeah. anyways, that's pretty much going to wrap it up for our show. And now before I end this, Rob, can you please plug yourself, show us where we can find you on your show? Yeah, definitely. Um, I appreciate it. So on Instagram at journalistic integrity, that's the name of the podcast as well. So you type it in the Spotify or Apple, it should come up and on Twitter at journalistic Rob and yeah, those are the two things at Journalistic Integrity, at Journalistic Rob. And uh, you should find me there. And it's got all the links on the uh, profiles. But I appreciate you having me on, man. This was fun to talk some baseball and and recap the first half for the Mets. I'm excited. It's been a pretty good baseball season so far. So I'm, it's a good time to be a, a sports fan and a baseball fan right now. Yeah, for sure. I think regardless of what team you follow, that is definitely very true. And uh, folks, that was uh, – that was Rob Murphy of Journalistic Integrity sharing his takes with us. And now, in addition to where you can find him, I would also like to give you a reminder to please give us a follow on all of our forms on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And, of course, please do not subscribe. Do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. You have just watched another episode of Hitting for the Cycle. As always, we will see you next week on Thursday at 7 p.m. But until next time, so long, everybody.